0: I'm going to ask Jeff Hoff, one of the leaders in our congregation, to come and lead us in a time of prayer. Jeff has been involved in the church for a long time, and his influence is wonderful. He's a man of God, and he is a praying man, and I know that God hears him. So Jeff, come and lead us in a time of prayer.
1: Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we just come here to you this morning to worship you. Um, You're just the biggest thing in our lives. You're the creator of our universe, the things around us. Uh, Everything that we see and do and hear, they all came from you. And we know the only way to tap into your power is through prayer. And Phil is going to talk to us this morning about the different ways for us to uh, live our lives uh, asking you for everything that we need. We do things, too many things ourselves, and we try and fix it ourselves, and we try to uh, change everybody around us and do things like that. And uh, we just know that through prayer, You tell us that we can move mountains, and uh, we just struggle with having that kind of faith to do that, and we always question what we do, and uh, are you really listening to us? And so we just pray that you'll open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to what Phil is going to try and teach to us about how to tap into your power that you have that you're willing to freely give to us if we just know how to ask and know how to seek you, Lord. And we're sorry that we don't always do it right but we just pray that you will help us to see clearer and to have the faith that we need to ask you for all that we need in our lives. And we're just so thankful that you gave us your son because you know we can't do it ourselves. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. The Jewish people have a book. Now, the Orthodox Jews pay close attention to it. The Reformed Jews and Liberal Jews oftentimes oftentimes overlook it. But every Jew has access to this book. It is called a Siddur, spelled just like this, S-I-D-D-U-R. It is a book of prayers. In that book, they have written down a number, and there are a lot of them, of prayers that they suggest the Jewish people pray on a regular basis. There are 28 daily prayers that are suggested for the Jews, beginning in the morning and ending right before they go to bed. There are 14 messianic prayers that are included in that book, even today, because the Jewish people with a veil over their heart, a hardness that has set in there, still do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. They don't believe that He was the Messiah, so they continue to pray that God will send the Messiah. There are 29 Sabbath prayers and 31 holiday prayers. Again, they are suggestions. They're not commandments. They are suggestions for the Jewish people. They're a little bit goofy at times. When you hear them, you you might think, gosh, why in the world would they do that? Let me give you a, a few examples. And I don't mean to make fun of anybody's religion, so please don't think I am. I just want you to listen to these prayers. This is one that they are suggested to offer every morning when they get out of bed. I'm thankful before you, living and sustaining ruler, you returned my soul to me with mercy. Your faithfulness is great. They actually have a prayer that they're supposed to offer over fruit. Anytime they're sitting at a meal and fruit is served, this blessing or this prayer is to be offered. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the tree. That's the prayer in its entirety. They're supposed to declare it over fruit. There's a prayer for protection, oftentimes offered at night. O Lord, grant that this night we may sleep in peace, and that in the morning our awakening may also be in peace. May our daytime be cloaked in your peace. Protect us and inspire us to think and act only out of love. Keep far from us all evil. May our paths be free from all obstacles from when we go out until we return home. When a new baby is born into a family, there are certain blessings that they are not commanded, please understand that, but suggested that they pray over those new babies. If it's a girl, they would offer this. May God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. For a boy, the prayer would sound along these lines. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Over both of them, boy or girl, they would continue the prayer on. May God bless you and keep you. May God make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. On and on and on this list goes of the prayers that are contained in this mysterious book. They have it oftentimes on their person, so wherever they're at, whatever time of day it is, they can pull out the book and offer the appropriate prayers. There's actually one contained in there that is only to be offered once every 28 years. You heard that right. Once every 28 years. Not every 28 days, not every 28 minutes, every 28 years. And it's always offered on a Tuesday. According to Jewish tradition, on that particular Tuesday, on a 28 year cycle, the solar cycle will have been completed and the sun will have returned to the exact position it was in at creation. And then, when that happens, every Jew is to offer this prayer. Here it is Blessed are you, Lord, our King of the universe, maker of all the works of creation. That's it, that's the entire prayer. And then they'll wait 28 years before they would offer it again. The last time that prayer was offered was on April 8th, 2009, and the clock is ticking for the next time that the Jews would pray it. Now those again are suggested prayers, not commandments. There are only two prayers that they would see as commanded. Two prayers that every Jew, doesn't matter whether they're orthodox, reformed, or liberal, they are to pray these prayers on a regular basis. The first is called the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you want to turn there with me, you can see it for yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Moses wrote these words down. This is what he recorded. More often than not, when a Jew prays the Shema, they use just the first line of what we read. It sounds like this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now I say it sounds just like this, but in truth, it would be offered in Hebrew, traditional old school Hebrew Even modern day Jews, again, doesn't matter from which sect, the Orthodox, the Reformed or the liberal, they would offer that prayer in traditional Hebrew. Now, the Hebrew language for years and years and years was archaic and almost extinct. But in 1948, when Israel became a nation again, the Hebrew language was resurrected. Today, it is the national language of Israel, and every Israeli child is taught that language. Jews all across the globe are grabbing hold of the Hebrew language, particularly in the Shema, and they would offer this in the traditional languages, daily, daily. Now, there's another one that fits in the realm of a commandment. It is a blessing that is given after a meal with bread has been served, because to the Jews, no meal is complete without bread. Now, that's not a practice that I think we should ignore. Bread should be around all the time, particularly homemade bread. About once a month or, or once, sometimes, even a week, my wife makes homemade bread and that makes a fine meal. So once the bread is served and, and everybody is well-fed and satisfied, they offer a prayer, believing that that was commanded by God. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you want to turn over there. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. When you have eaten... And are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good lands He has given you. That's a commanded prayer. It has at least four different segments and many translations, so we're not even going to look them up. They come from different places in the Old Testament, but they have been twisted, they've been changed. There's a lot of of interpretation that comes into play, so just trust me that there are four different parts to that prayer, but all of it following this command from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Those are the only two prayers that the Jews are to hold to. A lot of them don't, but a good number do. They offer the Shema, and they offer this blessing. It is so important, the blessing is, that they actually have a Yiddish term for it. It's called the benching. Benching is a Yiddish term which only means to bless. But everybody knows about the benching blessing, and they offer it, again, in traditional Hebrew. It's quite interesting when you understand that book, and when you see the way the the prayers are written out in it. It's also quite sad because there's little to no heart behind those prayers. They're just things that they're reading out of a book. They're things that they say day after day after day, or on a a weekly basis, or whenever the time is right. It's the exact same prayer offered over and over and over again. The Jewish people in the times of Jesus were very familiar with those types of prayers. They'd been a part of their life for a long time. When they heard Jesus pray, they heard something different. And it caught their attention. I wanted you to hear all of this background part of the story so that you could understand a request that the disciples make of Jesus. It's a very pointed request. And it's one that many of us would utter in one way, shape, means, or form on our own. It is that pointed. It is that direct. It's found in Luke chapter 11. Turn over there with me. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Love to hear all those pages and Bibles turning. Luke eleven, verse one. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples." Isn't that an interesting verse? And it's one that, that, unless we understand the backstory, we may very well miss the significance of it. They had been praying for years and years and years, but they were wrote, memorized prayers, or they were prayers that were reading out of a book. There was little to no heart behind those prayers, and then they hear Jesus praying. And obviously they had heard John's disciples praying. Bible doesn't tell us how John taught his disciples to pray. The Bible does tell us how Jesus taught his to pray. He gave us the Lord's Prayer. It's recorded in Luke 11. We see it again in Matthew chapter 6, where he gave it to us as a guideline, not as something to be memorized, but as a guideline. And obviously the disciples were intrigued by the way Jesus was praying, so intrigued that they would say, "Lord, Teach us to do the same thing. There's something different about what you're saying. There's something different about how God is responding. We have never heard a rabbi or a teacher pray this way. Lord, teach us to pray. Help us understand what you already have a grasp of. Teach us to pray. Like I said, a lot of us would ask that same thing. Lord, teach us to pray. It's always an interesting thing to me when we teach and preach on prayer Attendance tends to go up exponentially. People are very curious about it because it's a discipline in our spiritual life that can be difficult for a lot of people to embrace. It can be difficult to understand. It can be difficult to practice. But for those who figure it out, it brings about a power from heaven unlike anything else. So we would say, just like the disciples, teach us to pray. Leaders of our church want to do that very thing. Over the course of the next five weeks, we want to teach you how to pray. Using the Word of God and several other resources, we want to teach you how to pray. We're going to do it not only in our corporate worship services, but we're also going to be using our Sunday school hour. If you have never come to Sunday school, this is the perfect time to start. Just invest one hour. Come one hour early and let us let the Word of God teach you how to pray, to do exactly what the disciples asked for. We're going to do that in Sunday school. We obviously have this prayer challenge going through the month of May. We're going to send out other challenges, more than likely by email on Monday mornings, just different ways to stretch your prayer life and to go deeper into your walk with God by learning how to talk to Him. This is going to be a good month, and we are going to use this simple theme all the way through the month, Lord, teach us to pray. When we ask something like that, God responds. The disciples ask it, so there's nothing wrong with us asking the same thing. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, when they were watching Him pray and hearing Him pray, it's obvious to us that they saw something different. And it's simple, once we go through the whole of the New Testament, to figure out what it is that they were seeing. They were seeing a relationship, a prayer relationship that was bringing about results. They had never seen anything like that. So Jesus was talking to them or talking to God in a very personal way and God was responding to the specific prayers that were being offered. And the disciples wanted to know how to make that happen. They're not the only ones. David would actually ask for that type of a relationship. Go with me to the Old Testament again, to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. These are David's words. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple that was quite an insightful request of David during those days because in the Old Testament the Jewish people did not have access to God the temple was set up in such a way that only the high priest could go in behind the Holy of Holies or the curtain that led to the Holy of Holies only the high priest was allowed back there so every Jew understood separation from God they understood distance yet David was saying here's my request I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Did you catch that he didn't say all the days of eternity? He didn't say that he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord after he died. He said he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. That is such a unique prayer given the time because there was a curtain that separated them. There was obvious physical barriers that kept the Jewish people from being close to God. But that all changed with Jesus. Maybe David had some insight into that. Certainly God did. He knew that 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 curtain was going to be destroyed. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus died, it was. It was torn from top to bottom. And now, all of a sudden, that distance, that barrier that existed between mankind and God was gone. Now, I don't want you just to believe me. I want you to see it for yourself. So we'll go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When Jesus died, there was no longer any separation. In its place was relationship. We could be close to God now because of what Jesus had done. And that changed our entire prayer life. The relationship changed all of the ways that people had been talking to God prior to that moment and made it very personal and very relational. We would find out later on exactly how relational that is. I want you to see that for yourself as well. So let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17, we'll start in verse 24. Acts 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything, because He Himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now listen to verse 28, listen close. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now there's the relationship. And there's an obvious intimacy to it. In Christ, we live and have our being. We live in Him, very close to Him. The Bible would actually use terminology like this. We are His offspring. The relationship is as if it is a father to His children. That's how intimate it is. When the curtain was torn, that type of relationship became possible. And therefore, communication changed. Now, let me illustrate that for you. My father lives in Kansas City, Kansas. We are separated by about 1,600 miles. Now, if the only time I ever talked to him was when I was in Kansas City, we wouldn't have much of a relationship, not at all. He wouldn't know what was happening in my life, and I wouldn't know what was happening in his. You see, I'm only there about once every 12 months, maybe every 18 months. So if that was the only time that we ever got to talk, there would be great distance, huge distance between the two of us but technology has given us a way to close that gap. It's called the telephone. So we get to talk on a regular basis. I get to find out what's happening in his life. He gets to tell me what's happening in his life. And the relationship continues on as a father to his son and a son to his father. The distance doesn't really matter. Now, we've been trying for a while to convince him to start texting, but he is 76 years old and deeply entrenched in his world, and he isn't about to start texting, and he has made that quite plain. I don't know how many times he's told myself and my brother both, I'm not going to text, I don't like that texting thing, it isn't going to happen. Well, we've given up trying. So we call, and we get to talk with him. That same mode is available to us with God through prayer. That's the way it works. There are a lot of people that say when they come to church on Sunday morning, they feel really good and they they leave here feeling like they have been filled up, but by the time they get to Saturday of the next week, it's like they have run out of energy and they fill back up on Sunday mornings. It does not have to be that way. That's part of the wonderment of corporate worship, but that doesn't necessarily speak to the relationship with God. We don't meet Him according to Acts chapter 17, only in this place. We take Him with us. The relationship is always there. The connectivity comes through prayer. My willingness, my desire to talk to Him and to pray with Him within the relationship. And when we embrace that, we will begin to experience results. That's what the disciples saw with Jesus. Not only the relationship, but the results. And if you really want to understand that, you have got to see the things that Jesus did that so captured the disciples' attention that they wanted to learn to pray the way He did. I'm going to show you 12 different passages of Scripture that help us see that. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn to all of them. It would take too much time, so we're going to put them up on the screen. Starting with the first one, it comes from Mark chapter 1. Take a look at this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark... Jesus got up, left the house, and went out to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, that teaching is incredibly significant for us if we want to understand the discipline of prayer. Jesus didn't just utter one or two lines when he got out of bed in the morning like the sitter would suggest. Instead, he got up, he went to a specific place, and he prayed. And he did it first thing in the morning so that the discipline of prayer would carry him throughout the course of the day. That's why he did what he did. Take a look at number two. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. We of course know that as the... Lord's Prayer. Jesus gave us a model in which to measure our prayers by. He did not give us a formula for prayer. He gave us a model to follow. Here's number three. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 26. That one had to have caught their attention in a huge way. The wise and the learned, the rabbis and the teachers, they don't get it. But these new people that are coming to you, they get it. They understand what you're trying to bring about. These new people, these babes, they're figuring it out. And that's the way the Lord intended it to be. Here's number four. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, the disciples are watching all of this. He's not praying like everybody else prayed. He's not praying like your traditional Jew. He's not praying in front of other people. He is praying in solitary places. He's going off by himself, and that prayer is continuing on. It didn't make any sense to them. It was this brand new pattern, this brand new way of praying. Here's number five. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. See, it wasn't just something simple. It wasn't just this formula type of prayer. He prayed all night long. The disciples had to be thinking, Whew, how long is this going to go on? How long is he going to keep this up? Is he ever going to stop? But at the same time, they were watching and saying, boy, this is different. God's responding to his prayers. Number six. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. There was an expectation about Jesus' prayers, different than anything they'd ever heard. It was very specific in nature, and there was an expectation tied to it. Jesus said, I've prayed for you, Simon. And when you turn back, when the response comes and you're strengthened, then here's what I want you to do. Number seven. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Can you imagine what it was like for the 12 as they listened to that prayer, as they watched this? In fact, three of them were close to him, but they were sleeping and missed the whole point. But can you imagine what it would have been like This is unbelievable praying. He was praying so hard he was sweating, and his sweat turned to drops of blood. There was an earnestness in this prayer. Number eight, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That was a prayer offered from the cross. All those people that were at the foot of the cross heard it. Prayer of forgiveness, prayer of healing, prayer of release. It had to have baffled them. They'd never heard anything like it. Number nine. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. It was a prayer of declaration now. It was a prayer saying, I know you're listening, God. These Jews hadn't heard that type of thing for a long, long time. God was listening. Number ten. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Almost mirroring another prayer that we heard from the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is saying, all right, I don't want to have to go through this. Save me from what I am facing, but I can't do that. I need to go through this. Have you ever found yourself having to pray prayers like that? Lord, I don't want to do this. But if I have to, then get my heart lined up with yours. Get my will lined up with yours. That's what Jesus was asking for. Take a look at this next one. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I prayed for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. That was Jesus' prayer for his disciples. And are you ready for this? For you. Jesus prayed for you. And he prayed for me and he prayed just like that. And you heard it, Lord, protect them. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be able to stand in the gap for them. Lord, protect them. Keep them safe. Glorify yourself through them. That was Jesus' prayer for you. The disciples had never, never heard anything like this. So they would say, Lord, teach us to pray like that. But the reason? Well, the writer of Hebrews captures it better than anybody else. Look at this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And listen, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus was heard. God heard him, God responded. That had to have been so difficult for the disciples and any other Jewish person to see because they had just come through the intertestamental period, that time between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, a time when God was, by all accounts, very, very silent. But now Jesus is being heard, and they're seeing the results, and things are happening. So the disciples said, teach us to pray. Teach us to do this just like you. Help us. That leads to the natural question then, if Jesus was he going to teach them how to pray, how did he do it? If it wasn't through some formula-type prayer, the Lord's prayer, if it wasn't through some magic potion, how did he teach them how to pray? The answer is very simple. He taught them how to pray in their prayers. Let that soak in for just a minute. He taught them how to pray in their prayers. And he wasn't the only one that had figured this out. Let me take you to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, the entire story that is detailed there by James is found in 1 Kings 17-18, and if you want to go read it for yourself sometime, but here's the, the brief synopsis James would give. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't, three and a half years. Not a drop fell on the earth until he asked God to open up the heavens, and then God did. He prayed, and God responded. Now, a lot of people would say this, well, Elijah was a prophet of God and he had a different relationship with God than any of us might have, but the Bible takes that whole idea and throws it out very quickly. Listen to this again. Elijah was a man just like us. He was just like us. But then listen to the very next statement. He prayed earnestly. In the original Greek, that would actually read this way. He prayed in his prayers. You may want to write that in the margin of your Bible right next to that. He prayed in his prayers. Earlier on, in fact, just one verse above that in James chapter 5, we would see this. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And a righteous man or a righteous woman that sees God answering their prayers has learned how to pray within them. They're no longer just pounding away at the gates of heaven with words. They are praying in their prayers. It's a big difference. It's a huge difference. There are a lot of people that do that very thing. They just pound away at the gates of heaven saying the same words over and over and over again, and it would seem that God never responds. God never answers. Well, the simple truth is Jesus would say, stop that type of prayer. The Jews did it. Don't do it. The pagans did it. Don't do it. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus would actually make it that pointed. Listen to how he says this. Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 7. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Pagan worship during those days involved chanting in their prayers. They would just get into some type of a meditative state and they would chant the same thing over and over and over again, believing that that would elicit a response from their gods, their pagan gods. Well, the Jews were doing the same thing. They were pounding away, trying to get God to respond using the same words over and over and over again. And Jesus said, stop it. Stop it. There's no prayer in those prayers. Those are just words. You have to learn how to pray in your prayers that means inviting an intimate relationship into your heart. God, I want to just be able to talk to you. And I want to be able to hear you. That type of intimacy is the very thing that Jesus would teach. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he says this, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's where the response comes from. It's from the relationship. And the relationship has to be intimate. It's just between you and God. I have three children. I've spent a a lot of time out in the woods with those kids. And we've spent a lot of those times sitting on the back of horses. And those, I can promise you, have been some of my favorite moments with my children. We've had the opportunity after hours of riding together to talk about all kinds of different things. And for whatever reason, they become very open as we're riding around in the mountains. And they share wonderful things with me. As a preacher, I've told you a lot about my kids. Those conversations are off limits. They don't belong to you. They're just between us. Those are those intimate conversations that, that we have been able to share with one another. The same thing is true of the late night conversations I have with my wife when we're laying in bed talking about our days or talking about our hopes and our dreams and our future. Those are private, intimate conversations that are none of your business. They're just between us. That type of intimacy is what Jesus is trying to teach. And if you want responses, you've got to invite that into your prayer life. Stop just pounding away at the gates of heaven with words and talk to God. Pray in your prayers. Just talk to Him. What I'm about to say may be offensive to some people and I I don't want it to be. So if it offends you, then please forgive me. I'll ask for that up front there are a lot of people that believe that if they just pray the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again, then God's going to respond. There are churches that teach that. They, they, in every service they ever have, are going to recite the Lord's Prayer. And I can imagine God in heaven saying, Well, that was nice. What in the world did you just say? Did you really mean it? There was no prayer in that prayer. There are other faith systems that would teach that when you want to pray, you you pray through a string of beads and at each bead you recite the same thing over and over and over again. Well, that's the very thing that Matthew chapter 6 was talking about. There's no prayer in those prayers. So don't do it. There's no intimacy in it and it doesn't bring about any results. If you want results, that comes through the relationship. So pray in the intimacy of the relationship. Learn how to pray in your prayers. When you do... You're going to see God do something. You're going to experience something from the Lord. That's what Jesus taught them. He taught them how to pray in their prayers. I can look around this room and see people that have discovered that. Some people found it through some very difficult times in their life. They learned how to pray in their prayers because they had no choice but to pray in their prayers. So they did. And God responded and it changed the course of their life. For some people, it literally saved their lives. Other people, like the disciples, just said, I want something deeper. And they asked for it, and God revealed it to them. And they learned how to pray in their prayers. And they've seen responses over and over and over again. And they have even found themselves like Jesus, saying, even if the response is not what I want, line my heart up with yours. And because they learned how to pray in their prayers, they're okay with that other response. There are other people in this room that have learned how to pray for other people. And they've seen the responses because of the intimacy of the relationship. There are all kinds of ways that we do that and all kinds of ways that we arrive at that point. Let me share with you a story of a lady named Adele Vail. She's from Emporia, Kansas, and she tells this story. Back in the 60s and early 70s, things were very tough financially for her family. and So Adele brought in some ironing into the house just to try to help ends meet. She would stand hour after hour after hour in her kitchen with the ironing board in front of her, ironing other people's clothes, and it gave her a lot of time to think. And At one point, Adele was looking at a pair of pants that she was ironing and paying close attention to the crease that she was putting into that pair of pants. And in the process of all of that, she was reflecting on the disciples' request of Jesus that He would teach them to pray, and, and she put the two together and And as she did, she started thinking about lines and and prayer lines. Is it possible to find something like that? Now, she got there by thinking about the line in the pants and then bus lines and phone lines and different things along that arena. And then she said, what about a prayer line? Now, most of us would think she's talking about some sort of special connection to God, but she wasn't. This is what Adele came up with. She strung a cord from one corner of her kitchen to the other corner, and on that cord, that line, she hung her prayers, or the names of people she was praying for. They were just on that line. So every day while she was in the kitchen ironing, she would see these different prayer cards, and and she would pray for the people that were listed up there, and then God began to do something pretty amazing. He began to respond to those prayers that she was offering. And Adele started to see the responses, but more important than that, other people saw the responses. They figured out pretty quickly what was happening. Adele was praying for them. It didn't take very long before folks would come up to her and say, "Hey, Adele, hang me on your line, would you?" And she put their name up or their specific request up, because Adele figured out how it worked. She started praying in her prayers in the time that she had while well, she was ironing. She was praying in her prayers. God was responding. She learned how to pray. Like I said, over the course of the next few weeks, we want to teach you the same thing. I hope you'll be here for it. We're going to use all kinds of different ways to do it.